0: welcome to the sermon cast from king road church it's our desire that god uses this message to bring you closer to him if you'd like to pray with someone speak with one of our pastors or if you're looking for more resources please go to kingroad.ca scroll down on the homepage, and fill out the reach out fillable. thanks for joining us enjoy the message Going to continue our series through the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 verse 7 will be in today. I don't know how you're doing through this series um, uh, in the Beatitudes. Hopefully this has been a blessing to you at least, but, but also hopefully challenging. Uh, and and the, the Beatitudes really are there for us to do some self-reflection and to look at what's going on in our own hearts, in our own minds, what, what's going on in our lives. Um, I know that as I'm going through it every week, as I study each verse and even just specific words, words like meek or even this week, mercy, you look at that word and you start to turn it. You know, it's like um, you've probably heard the analogy when you look at a diamond and you turn it and the light reflects and refracts. So one angle you see this beautiful prism of rainbow colors and then you turn it a bit and there's a bright reflection back at you and a, a sharp uh, kind of glistening off of it so this is this is how I'm finding the beatitudes and I'm hoping you're finding the same thing because I know for myself as I look at each one too I'm finding that when I'm studying each of these passages the Holy Spirit brings a, a little poke into my conscience and it's just like hey you could do better with this and that's the, that's the meaning of, or that's the purpose of this. Even Jesus says at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, he's wanting this to be the foundation of what he's going to teach. And he wants us to do some self-reflection. So we need to be asking ourselves, am I actually poor in spirit? Because for myself, I know that I can be really cocky at times. I can really be self-confident and not putting my trust in the Lord in those things, not being humble before the Lord or before others, but, but more like, yeah, I can do this. It's all about me. Or do I mourn over my own sin? I know I have at times, but there's other times where I'm just really self-righteous and I can reason away all the things that I do. Or meekness or hungering and thirsting for righteousness. These are areas that I fail in regularly. And I'm sure you do too. So we need to look at these things and be asking ourselves, having that self-evaluation as we study and pray at home, looking deeply at these commands, meditating on them, and seeing what is the Lord calling us to do differently in light of these things. We need to evaluate ourselves under the microscope of the Beatitudes. And I'm not even talking about our really, at this point, about our external things. But what about internally? What about our character? What about the attitude we bring into things? Even if we're doing the right thing, do we have the right character, the right motive, the right attitude? These are the things that the Beatitudes are driving deep to to dig up in us. So we need to be doing that. Because our actions are built on our attitude. Our conduct is based on our character. So today's is today's verse, Matthew 5:7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Again, it's a time to do some soul searching. Am I merciful? Are you merciful? When we look at the world around us, I think we'll find that the the world really isn't very merciful. The world shows a lot more vengeance, vengeful rather than merciful. And I think if we look at people by nature, you, you would say that people aren't merciful by nature. You have to come to that conclusion. Because when we look at the world around us, people are calling you to go get yours. You know, The the whole karma idea, They they want karma to come back and pay people back for what they've done. If you look at history, you think of the executions of the past and when they used to have public executions. Think about the time of the Reformation when reformers were getting burnt at the stake and you'd get hundreds or thousands of people out there to watch this. If people are merciful, do you really want to go and watch that? No, it shows the vengeful nature of our hearts, not the merciful nature of our hearts. So what does it mean to be merciful? How can we be more merciful? Because Christians are called to mercy, not vengeance. Look at this uh, diagram that we have on the screen. It it, kind of shows you the two sides of mercy and how mercy is the convergence, really, of forgiveness and compassion. There's times when you show mercy. You've probably heard people say, mercy is not getting what you deserve. And that's true. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. So it's it's forgiveness. That's the forgiveness side of it. But then there's also the compassion side of it, where mercy is looking to help those who are suffering, looking to relieve suffering. So mercy is both forgiveness and compassion. Coming together. So, as we look at this today, we're going to see that the big idea is that Christians show mercy to both sufferers and sinners. And we're going to see this in two points that mercy cancels debts and mercy relieves suffering. So, point number one mercy cancels debts. Again, the passage is blessed are the merciful. For they shall receive mercy. So, when we read this verse, I think it's easy to come away thinking that it's describing a type of works based righteousness. We hear that because you hear that. He he talks about, blessed are the merciful, so those who are showing mercy, for they will receive mercy. So, if you show mercy, it, it, it could appear to say that if you show mercy, God will give you mercy. But then, if you think about the rest of the New Testament in particular, you think about the, you think about the, the explanation of the gospel in um, Ephesians chapter 2, and you think of what Paul says there. He says that our salvation is a gift of God, a result, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Now, isn't showing mercy a work? So these two, if you look at it just on the surface, you can think, oh, these two kind of contradict each other, but they don't. We have to look at this in, in light of Scripture. Scripture interprets Scripture. So we have to look at the, the overall message of the Bible, and that is that our salvation is not works-based. So when we look at something like this, we have to go, all right, so how do we interpret this in light of what the rest of Scripture says? I think a good thing to do is to look at Matthew chapter 18 and one of the parables that Jesus gives that shows a further explanation of this. So Matthew 18, he sets this, Matthew sets the scene starting in verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. So pause there for a second. When you look at that message, uh, that, I, that question that he's bringing in, the numbers, uh, don't get lost in the numbers. The, the numbers, Peter's saying the number seven times because this is the number of completion. This is uh, a number that's used a lot in, in their time, in the, in the Jewish life. And he's saying, like, surely seven times. Like, this seven's the good number. That's the number of completion. That's probably the one that you want, right, Jesus? Jesus is like, no, how about 77 times? Or some translations, 70 times 7, which would be 490. So if, we're, if we focus on the numbers, Jesus is giving him a way bigger number, but he's not really meaning an exact number. What he's meaning is that our hearts need to be bent towards forgiveness. Always ready to forgive. Always forgiving. It doesn't matter how often somebody sins against you, you need to be forgiving that person. Jesus continues into the parable and says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So again, the numbers here don't don't focus on the exact number, but Jesus is here. This 10,000 talents is like a massive amount of money. If this isn't a thousand dollars. This isn't ten thousand. This isn't even a million. This is multiple millions, maybe even like a billion dollars. It's the kind of amount that he's talking about—just some absurd amount of money that this guy is in debt to his master for. Continuing, and since he could not pay his master—or since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the master's like, i got to get something out of this guy. So we'll just sell him off and I'll, I won't have him around anymore. But, the, but the, the servant falls on his knees and implores him and says, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt the king shows him mercy. He, has, he sees the predicament he's in and he thinks, I'm going to show him mercy. I'm going to show him love. I'm going to show him grace. I am going to give him this mercy and forgive him this debt. An absolutely enormous amount of money that you and I will never own that kind of money. And this is the amount that he forgives him. Free and clear. Totally forgiven. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Now, in comparison to 10,000 talents, 100 denarii is peanuts. If you read commentaries, they'll they'll say, this isn't like 10 bucks or 50 bucks or something, but it's like probably in the low thousands of dollars. So it's a debt. It's a definite debt. But nothing near what this guy has been forgiven. Not even a Back compared to what he's already been forgiven. And so this servant owes him a hundred denarii. And so the, the servant seizes him and begins to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, pleaded with him, have patience with me, I will pay you. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? And he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt, which is never. How are you going to pay a debt when you're sitting in prison? When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, "'You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me.'" Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So if you look at, you could look at this the same way and say, oh, like we have to forgive, so God forgives us. But if you look at the central point of the story, it's that God had already forgiven. And the wicked servant didn't forgive. He had already extended that to him and said, look at all you have, here it is. And the wicked servant went and lived according to what he thought was right. Not thinking about all that God had done for him. So Jesus' point is the one that has truly been changed by God's act of mercy towards him will act likewise to others. That's what God does, right? Like he, he comes to us, he initiates, he comes to us, he calls us, he leads us to repentance, he leads us, or he shows us his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness. And then those who claim to believe that and follow him go out and don't do likewise? Remember, Jesus is teaching primarily to people who, I mean all, to people who know what, they, they know the Jewish scriptures, they know the Torah, they know the law, the religious leaders are there, they know the law. And he's pointing at them saying, do you act this way? Do you live like God has done this for you, or are you living like you're the judge? The one who recognizes the enormity of the forgiveness that God has given to us goes out and acts in mercy, not in vengeance. Jesus is saying, Look at yourself. Are you really worshiping God? Are you really worshipping God? Do you really see the true gravity of your own sin? If you think about if you know the true gravity of your own sin and the distance that that places between you and God and that that's been forgiven, that that gap has been closed. Surely you will act in joy towards your brother and forgive him. Surely you will have mercy Another example of, of this, uh, as, as, as I was studying, that came to mind was, I, I was remembering reading The Hiding Place by Corrie Ten Boom. And when you get to the end of that whole story of her life, and Corrie Ten Boom, if you aren't aware, um, a lot of younger people might actually not know, but Corrie Ten Boom and her family hid Jews in their home in Holland during, the, during World War II and they, it was found out, and the Nazis took them, put them in prison, took Be- uh, Cory and her sister Betsy and sent them off to an all-women's prison camp called Ravensbrück. And when they were at Ravensbrück, uh, they endured all sorts of torture and uh, shame and terrible things, starvation, all of the things that you've heard about in Nazi concentration camps, this is what they went through. And after she got out, and after the war, she went and spoke in churches about her experience. In 1947, she went to Munich and spoke there and was speaking on the idea of forgiveness. And she said, when we confess our sins, God casts them deep into the deepest ocean, gone forever. And as, after, the, after the meeting, as everybody was walking out of the back of the room, there was one man pushing against the grain, coming forward. And she looked at him, and he was wearing a brown overcoat and held his hat in his hand. But as he got closer, she saw that, that coat in her mind, it changed to a blue coat and the hat from a nice felt hat to a visored hat with a skull and crossbones on it because she recognized this man. He had been a guard at Ravensbrück. And she says, And when I saw him working his way forward, I saw the overcoat and the brown hat change into the blue uniform in the visored cap with skull and crossbones. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, Hand thrust out, a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And Corey goes on to say, And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take that hand. My blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrück in your talk, he said. I was a guard there. But since that time, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fräulein, will you forgive me? And his hand came out again. Corey writes, and I stood there, I whose sins had to be forgiven daily, and I could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow and terrible death simply by asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive, forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives, no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with coldness clutching my heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed, silently. I can lift my hand, I can do that much, but Jesus, you supply the feeling. And so, woodenly and mechanically, I thrust out my hand to grasp his And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The the current started in my shoulder and raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands, and then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. See, Christians cancel debts. But that doesn't mean it's gonna be easy. We do it relying on God's work in our hearts, in our minds, in our lives. We do it relying on the Holy Spirit working within us. We do it praying the way Beth or the way Corey did in that moment praying that he would just give us the strength to go through the motion and that he would change our hearts and our emotions as we do it. And, and as we think about the Beatitudes and read this one about mercy, please remember how these Beatitudes build on each other. It's if you're truly poor in spirit, then you will truly mourn over your sin and you will truly be meek and you will truly hunger and thirst for righteousness, which will cause you to act in mercy. Why is that? Because that's who the Christian is. That's who the Christian is. The Christian's character and attitude is exemplified by humility, the poorness of spirit that is the foundation of these beatitudes. Christians are bent towards mercy because because we have been transformed, because we have been born again. That's why we can go forth in mercy because of the work that God has done in our lives. Christians cancel debts because we understand the immense debt that our Master has forgiven of us. We understand that relationship and we go forth and act in joy and trying to expand that relationship into the horizontal relationships we have around us. Listen to this quote from Martin Lloyd Jones. He says, if you are not forgiving your brother, you can ask God for forgiveness, but you will have no confidence in your prayer, and your prayer will not be answered. That is what this beatitude says. That is what our Lord said in the parable of the unjust steward. If that unrighteous, cruel servant would not forgive the servant who was under him, he was a man who had never understood forgiveness or his relationship to his master therefore he was not forgiven for the one condition of forgiveness is repentance like Jesus said at the beginning of his ministry repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and for us to go forth and act as agents of that kingdom we need to be people of mercy we need to be people who are willing to cancel debts willing to show mercy to both sinners and sufferers So we've looked at the forgiveness piece. Let's let's look at the compassion piece. Mercy relieves suffering, point number two. This idea of compassion um, is interesting. A lot of people can think of compassion just as being an emotion, but in reality, compassion is hard work. It's something that we do, not just something that we feel. To, To have compassion for someone is not just kind thoughts or emotions, but it is acting on those kind thoughts and emotions. To have compassion for someone is more than just feeling bad. When you watch TV or you see something come across your your social media feed about children around the world who are suffering in poverty, just feeling bad in in that moment and looking at that doesn't do anything for them. You have to act on that compassion. I have to act on that compassion. We should be acting in mercy out of those feelings, making attempts to relieve the suffering of those who we have compassion for. Probably the best example for that, uh, looking at at the teachings of Jesus for best example of that would be the parable of the Good Samaritan. So Luke chapter 10 Starting in verse 25, let's go through the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? So the type of lawyer he is, he's not just a legal lawyer like we have in our day and age here who goes and studies law and deals with... Uh, you know, the, the Constitution or criminal law or family law or whatever. That's not the kind of law, lawyer he is. He is a, a biblical lawyer. He is somebody who is looking at the law of the Torah and ruling based on that. And so Jesus asks him, How do you read it, lawyer? What's your judgment? And so the lawyer answers, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Jesus replies, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him And departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, and saw him, passed by on the other side. So Jesus is pointing out here, listen, you've got these two religious leaders, priests and Levites, Levites in the Old Testament, they are the priests. Now in New Testament times, not only Levites are priests, but other guys too. So you've got priests and Levites walking down this road, these two guys. They come across a guy who's clearly been beaten. He's laying there, left for dead, and they just kind of skirt around him. You know, we don't want to get ceremonially unclean. Let's avoid this situation. Got places to go. Things to do. Now, I think when we hear this, and you, if you've grown up in the church, you've heard, this, you've heard this story many times. This is the one parable that you watch the news, and the news refers to the parable of the Good Samaritan because somebody will be hurt, and the news will say, and a Good Samaritan came by. So when, you, when you've heard this in the past and you've thought about this story, these two guys, you think about, what a couple of jerks. Goodness, how in the world could you, could you just walk past a guy It's half dead, laying there, beaten, clearly needs help. How could you just walk past that? Well, let's walk in their shoes for a second. Let's imagine this is King Road, on the way down to Riverside, close to where it's under the bridge, under the freeway. And you're walking down the hill there, and you find a guy laying on the sidewalk, naked, might look a little beat up. What are you going to do? Now maybe you, call, you grab your phone, I'm going to call 911. Well, imagine you don't have a phone. Imagine 911 doesn't exist. Imagine the police don't exist. There's no paramedics. Imagine you're walking on this, this road and guess what? There's hardly any population around because you're really in a kind of crazy, desolate spot between these two towns. It's up to you, in other words. What do you do? I mean, this guy might have something. He might have a disease that I could catch if I touch him. I mean, I, I do have other things. Certainly somebody else will come along and help him. Are you going to pick him up and, and, and help him? Are you going to put him on your animal and take him and allow yourself to be inconvenienced by this guy because look at what the samaritan does continuing and but a samaritan and a samaritan if you are in an ancient jew samaritans are like i mean they're they're kind of almost worse than gentiles they're basically traitors they're kind of, they live up north. They're, they've, they've intermarried with other religions around them. They don't come down all the time to worship here. They have their own place of worship. Ugh, Samaritans are, they're nasty, man. But nevertheless, a Samaritan, as crazy it is, as it is, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. So not only does he bend down and risk, I mean, who knows what's going on with this guy? Who knows? Is he actually half dead? Maybe he's pretending and he's waiting to beat me up. Maybe he's possessed. I don't know what's going on with this guy. But he takes the risk. And he bends down and he deals with him. And he binds his wounds and he puts them on his own animal. He delays his own life by a full day to help this guy. And he spends on on his own things that he already has with him. But then look, and the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Remember, there aren't there, there aren't hospitals, there's no welfare, there's, there's, no, there's no government agency. He he does this all in his own volition to help this guy. This is mercy. So Jesus asks the lawyer, which of these three men, the priest, the Levite, or the Samaritan? do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You see, friends, uh, mercy is costly. Mercy is costly. When we're going to show mercy to someone, and, and, it's mer- and it's costly on the forgiveness side too, because over there you're, you're having some emotional Cost to that because you're having to let go of the, the, the desire to get revenge and the, the desire to hold a grudge that dwells deep inside us. And so you're, there's emotional cost there. But on this side, you're talking about financial cost, you're talking about possibly health cost to yourself to go and help somebody, you're talking about a cost of time. Mercy's costly. And the Samaritan took the risk. And if you think about it, hasn't Jesus done the same thing for us? Think about who we are in God's eyes. We are rebels against him, beaten up, stripped naked, bloody, a mess on the side of the road, half dead due to our own sin and the sin of others. But Jesus, the sinless one, The Holy One doesn't avoid us, doesn't pass by the other side. He comes to us. He bends down. He fixes our wounds. He stepped down from heaven to do this. Picks us up, cleans us, heals us. And what does it cost him? It costs him everything. It cost him his life. It costs him taking the, the punishment of our sins upon himself to do this for us and to then not only just heal us and send us on our way, to, but then to bring us into his kingdom with him, to sit us at the king's table with him. To clothe us in robes of righteousness. So when we hear this, I mean, the question we need to ask ourselves is then how should we live? How do we live in light of this, this this light of of, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy? How do we live in light of this? When we see the plight of others, we need to move to action, and in some cases that is just simply calling 911. Because you're going to come to a situation where we do have police who can step in. And we do have other agencies that can step in. So you can call 911 or you can take that person to the right place, which is great. These are things that we can do and and things, advantages in our society that we can use. But sometimes it's gonna mean involving ourselves physically into a situation where we help somebody who's suffering. And so I wanna just share three ways that we can do that. And they'll go quick. I know it's been a long one already. Uh, first, first thing we can do is serve. So we can serve those who are suffering. We can go to those who are suffering, those who have, uh, are sick at home, those who are, are healing at home from something, or those who are even in, in this time, those who are just lonely at home. We can bring them meals. We can go bring them coffee. We can give them rides to their appointments. We can physically insert ourselves into their lives and help them. I'm just thinking, right, in this instance, just maybe about your next-door neighbor or your brother and sister here, even here in the church, people that you can help and enter into their lives and help those who are suffering. You can serve on the seniors' care team. We can go serve with Refresh. Refresh is a mercy ministry because they are going out and looking at the the need that these people, to bring these people some dignity, these people that live on the streets and bring them some, some showers, some cleanliness, some fresh socks. We can go serve there and share the gospel while we're doing it. You can become a foster parent. That's a mercy ministry. You've got kids in this this society who have no way of knowing who Jesus is. Imagine becoming a foster parent and bringing them into your home and, and giving that way. I know there's people in our church that do that. You could volunteer as a crisis pregnancy counselor at Hope for Women as a way of helping those women, showing mercy to these women who are in Situations that they are having a hard time finding hope in, but also as a way of showing mercy to the unborn because hopefully you're preventing abortions at the same time. Some of us might even be called into a life of service where we need to go overseas into another culture as a missionary, bringing the hope of the gospel, but also serving and alleviating the physical and the, the temporal needs even of the people who are living there. So we can serve that's one thing you can do. Second thing you can do, you can give. If you think about it uh, and you look at those commercials that come and those, those different, all the different agencies you hear about, there is no way that we can physically help everybody. There's no way that we can all do that. But there are people who are doing the work and so we can give to support that. So if you think about how those, those kids around the world that are suffering through poverty We can give to Compassion, Compassion International, and we can adopt a child through them and give to support for that child's needs and also then even correspond with those kids. And I know many people in our church do that. We can give to a ministry like International Justice Ministry, which is there to help fight human trafficking and sex trafficking. It's a great ministry. We can give to Multiply or MCC or Samaritan's Purse, We can give to our own church because there's many ministries, and some of those ministries even, that we support financially. So we can give when we can't physically get involved and when we can't go and give our time and things like that. And then the third thing we can do is pray. Sometimes there's no way that we can even give because the situation that we're in in life, our our means just don't allow us to give into things, but we can always pray. Because even in times when we can't be involved and we can't bring the mercy that needs to be there, God can. And God can either fix your situation so that you can go do it, or God can actually lead somebody else to go and do it. Or God himself, by the Holy Spirit, can bring the healing and the, the message and the, the physical needs that are there, that need to be brought to a certain people or a certain person. Prayer is incredibly powerful. So we can serve, we can give, we can pray. So King Road, let's be people that have mercy. Let's be people that do this through serving, through giving, and through through prayer. Let's be a church that's known for mercy. A church that's known for mercy both to the sufferer and to the sinner. I'm going to close with this quote from one of my professors at seminary, John Frame. He wrote this in his book, Doctrine of the Christian Life. He says, In Christ, God has shown us incalculable mercy. Surely love so amazing, so divine, demands our all. Let us go forth aggressively to love others as Christ has loved us. Let's pray. Lord, this is... uh, The call to mercy is is a hard call. It's hard on us Uh, emotionally. It's hard on us spiritually. It's hard on us physically, financially, every way, Lord. If we are going to be people that are living lives of mercy, it's going to hurt. But, Lord, we don't do it to earn anything from you. We do it because of all of the mercy that you have shown us. We know the pain that you went through. We know the cost that you spent, Lord Jesus. To come and just to live among humanity and to put up with sin around you all of the time and to deal with the, the filth in the world. But then ultimately, Lord, to even give your life as a promise to us that we can also have eternal life with you in your kingdom. So Lord, we look forward to that day, but we know that until that day, mercy is needed. So we pray that as we go out into our world, that we would continue to show that mercy, or for those of us who aren't currently showing that mercy, that we would start to show that mercy to those around us, that we would forgive, and that we would have compassion. So Lord, thank you for canceling our debts and for being there for us. We praise you. We love you. In your name, Jesus. Amen.